This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Stuart Winchester, who is the CEO and founder at Marble. Marble and Insured Tech Business, and Stuart joins us from New York City today. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Yeah, good to see you. I'm glad to be here. I was going to say on a cold New York day, but it's uh, it's actually quite mild. So uh, just on a normal day. I don't know. I don't know how things are there, but we are we are having a weird, not snowy winter here in New York. Yeah, well, here in the UK, it never really snows, especially in the South. But I know, I know. yeah, I know it can get pretty cold over there in New York. Nice to hear that it's not too bad out there. Stuart, before we start, would you mind sharing a little bit more with the listeners about your background and the journey that yeah. you, how you started Marble? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and again, yeah, thanks for having me on. This is this is fun. So uh, my background is sort of long and winding, but I actually went to university in Ireland. Uh, where I did experience one of the snowiest days in Dublin history, but that's for another story for another time. And then came out of college, was an English major. So to all the English majors who might be listening to an insurance podcast, don't worry, you can end up in insure tech too. Yeah. Became a financial consultant, then went to work at a coding boot camp, And then after all that, like it's called General Assembly, which actually has an office in London. And then after all that, went to work uh, at better.com, which is an online mortgage lender where I launched the insurance practice or the insurance vertical. Became licensed as a 50-state agent myself, built this agency from scratch. And then uh, from there, I was approached and sort of had my own idea and went to launch Marble, which is where I am today and can talk a little bit more now too. Yeah, awesome. And how did you find your previous experience with the agency? Is that something that really got the the juices flowing for wanting to come out with something really innovative for the industry or Launching an agency was sort of my my toehold into finding this stuff very interesting. And sort of a funny aside, you know, my my both my parents are insurance professionals. You know, went away and did worked at a coding boot camp, and you know, worked as French consultant, was an English major, and then sort of boomeranged all the way back to you know, my dad is from the UK and and uh, has worked at Lloyd's since he was eighteen. So, so so I knew that insurance once I got a little toe in the water, it was going to be kind of like quicksand, uh, and and that proved correct. So I launched this agency. I was the first licensed agent. We ended up building a whole team of agents and engineers. And I talked to thousands of customers in that role. You know, I was the first producer. So it's what you know, I had to do. And in the mortgage process, people had immediate access to their income, immediate access to their banking information, immediate access to their you know, W-2s and all that. And then it would take us five to seven days to, to get their insurance information for their new home or their old home or their other home. And it was like, and it would come in like screenshots or fo- phone photos, or there was nothing digital about it. It was like this one little wormhole where people had really little 
idea of what their coverage was and no idea where it was. So I was like, you know what? There's this amazing push into distribution and insurance. We work with Hippo and Lemonade. We work with Young Alfred. We work with, you know, Policy Genius. Phenomenal innovation in distribution. But there's been very little innovation in like control, management, engagement, digitization. Now, on top of that, there's no rewards in insurance. It just doesn't exist, really. I mean, there's some little bits and bobs here and there. But really, for the most part, unlike credit cards or other huge financial class assets, there's no rewards program. So we sort of partnered with this venture capital firm, IA Capital. They had done a lot of research on the regulatory environment for rewards. I had this like really clear thesis in my mind of let's build a full stack digitization platform for insurance. And uh, and that was born out of just talking and selling insurance to lots of people and being like, here is what I think the real problem is that can still be solved. So yes, I mean, it was a direct inspiration. I mean, I'm still... I still maintain my licensure. Like I'm very happy to be an agent. You know, if Marble doesn't work out, you might, you know, hear me working the phones and just selling more policies. I'm sure that won't be the case, but I think it's such terrific grounding. And I think when you're looking to provide a solution, it's fantastic to have that real life experience. Stuart, you're obviously a very busy man. We've spoken several times, very busy times in New York. What, what gets you up in the morning? What's your go-to coffee of choice in the day? So I, I love coffee. I have been making my way through this massive Yeti cup thermos of coffee this morning. I I just make drip, but I have a whole station. You know, I have a grinder, I have a kettle where I can set the temperature to the exact, you know, I have a scale. It's really, I mean, first of all, I mean, like most of us, I, you know, work from home these days. So I have to put all my focus somewhere. So I've just gotten very into this coffee process. So it's like my little ritual. So I just make a drip coffee most of the time. I will make a little espresso or cortado, uh, or in the afternoon, I might head out to a coffee shop down the street and get a cortado, which if I'm in a store, a cortado is my favorite drink yeah, to order. And then I get, um, to, to add on to that, I do get my, be- I get beans shipped in from Portland, Maine, tandem roasters. I get a monthly box of beans that they source. So yeah, uh, and, and those are from all over. So cortado, if I'm ordering homemade drip, with this whole mad scientist set up for yeah, most mornings. Yeah, yeah. No, love it, love it. Yeah, I'm partial to a little cordado sometimes. Normally, actually, when I'm in Europe, it just feels like the continental thing to do. <laughs> a nice size. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not, I don't want the full latte with all the dairy, but I do, I don't want, maybe I don't want an espresso because, yeah, you know, yeah. I want to enjoy it a little bit more. It's a great drink. Yeah, good, uh, good blend of the tea. Stuart, love to learn a little bit more about marble, what you're doing there. If you could give, give me a snapshot of what you're doing, where the business is at the moment, and yeah, what your plans are over the next 12 months. Yeah. So we, very simply, we've built, at least in the US, and I think maybe in most markets, the first application that combines all policy types, brands, and lines. So what I mean by that is home, auto, pet, renters, life, dental, umbrella, you know, everything. Pulls them, parses them, makes them rich text. So you can, as a user, you can look at them, you can, we can do, we can create charts on them, we can give you alerts on them, we can give you price alerts, we can give you weather alerts, all the stuff that you would expect from a digital experience, not just looking at a PDF. So we bring all that together. Then we combine it with a shopping experience. In later 2022, we're going to combine it, combine it with a payments experience where you can pay through that. And then we sort of lay on top of it this rewards program, whereby telling us about assets, whereby inviting new people to the community, taking quizzes and proving your risk factor. We will disperse rewards to you that you can redeem today for like mostly gift cards, 
We do have some cool stuff coming in the cryptocurrency space. Uh, we have some stuff coming in carbon offsets and charity donations. So the, again, the sort of simplest way to think about Marble is anything you want to do with insurance for any insurance in one place and rewards for it. Today it's on the web. In February, it'll be on your phone. And you know that is really what we've built the beta version of today. With this, We have this team of nine. We are all over the world at this point. We have engineers in Sevilla. We have an engineer who is right now, she's working in Chamonix. We have an engineer in Montreal. We have a team in California. So we, we've built this like really great distributed team in this sort of modern working environment too. You know, it's like, I, you know, like many people, I cut my teeth professionally in an office. You know, I worked as a financial consultant with a bunch of former bankers. It was, you know, in early, out late, butts and seats. And this is my first time, you know, in a founder role. And I really expected to not, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, a banker boss, but I was like, I thought we'd have an office. So I've had to really adjust to growing this fast product. You know, we're going to, we're going to probably be, like I said, over or before the call, like we're going to be like over $6 million of premium just on this platform. And we've only been live since the end of April, 2021. We've done this all while totally distributed. Um, and that's been an incredible adjustment and, and like, not just working style, but like my mentality, right? Like getting used to how to manage that. Uh, it's a totally new challenge for me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that by having a remote workforce, that's actually given you more opportunity to recruit people in different parts of the world and maybe get access to talent that you traditionally wouldn't have done previously? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, you know, we have a fantastic, you know, engineering partner in this firm we work with in Spain, in Sevilla. But beyond that, we've started to add full-time team members in yeah. Spain as well. And the level of talent there and the accessibility of that talent mm. is tremendous uh, and has, ex- has, has raised our velocity huge amounts. And I think as well, like it's been a nice, you know, there's a lot of like other benefits besides recruiting, right? Like if there's something kind of nice about having, you know, it like, Look, people log on and log off. They do their, you know, eight whatever hours. But there's something kind of interesting about like people are picking work up at, you know, when like 4 a.m. when we're asleep. And like, you know, I look at GitHub and codes being pushed in the, you know, starting early in the morning and then late at night. And we have this sort of cyclical development environment too, which is very interesting. So not just the access to talent, which I had never, you know, I was ready, you know, when we started Marble to, you know, pay my $200,000, pay my, you know, pay my big commission to recruiters and just build a New York based team. And I really opened my, my portfolio of where, you know, we, as we hire in 2022, we have a global view, you know, as long as you can kind of overlap with the New York time zone, we'll hire you. I, I just think it's such a great learning opportunity as well. Having a diverse mindset of people who are based in different countries i know certainly in our own business we had a team in philippines very early on and they were actually working with other search companies all across the world so they were actually giving us a bit of feedback and information as to what other people were doing in different parts of the world and and that was fantastic for us and actually really great great value in in addition to the the work they were doing there themselves so tag a point on that which is interesting in this insurance world right especially when you're sort of in like a leadership position in insurance Mm -hmm. and this making to later, but you know, insurance is like a global concept, right? I mean, risk is a fairly, you know, this is a it's a, almost an ancient concept in terms of like risk sharing, right? Maybe not ancient, but sort of fair, very old. However, you know, technology and insurance, insure tech, is very localized in some ways. You know, the UK market has differences to the US market. 
the Spanish market has differences to the UK market, both in terms of the um, regulation, uh, how consumers expect to work with things. And generally, uh, you know, you look at like something like the German market, Germans have a different relationship with insurance. They're just generally, you know, sort of to stereotype more proactive about their, you know. So it's really interesting to look and to have team members who themselves culturally or nationally have different views of insurance. Because then we can try to cherry pick what we think where we want to go with our first market, the U.S., and be like, okay, how do we build the tools to create a more proactive mindset? Things like that. So, you know, it's cool working on a product that is so international, but has localized mindsets with an international team. I think you can just bring a lot of the benefits and, you know, you can see what's already happened in places in Europe, in the UK, looking at things from the US market, you know, there's certainly some things in the US market, which are light years ahead of what's going on in Europe, but also the other way around as well. And actually, there's a lot that can be learned from what we're doing here and some of the things in place here at the moment, you know, we look across the pond and we uh, frown and scratch our head that, that things are still being done like that. So I, I mean, that's a very common experience when I talk to, you know, particularly People in personal lines insurance in the European markets look at the US market and it's like you have 50 state, you have 50, you have this super crazy regulatory environment. And we could spend two hours talking about this. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a wild, it's a wild west. I mean, it's not the wild west, it's actually, but it's very different than most other environments. Yeah, it sure is. So, sure, in terms of the, the product that you've built there, how's that been developed over the last few years? And I'm actually going to tie this with the next question as well. Yeah. What do you think and what do you see? What do you hear from your customers as the, the key benefits to them? So, we have this like, we it's it's like it's like 53 47% when we when we survey our users or 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 even actually now if you sign up for a marble account we ask you what what brought you in and it's just close to the majority of users are rewards they're they're interested in rewards you know in 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 and this is sort of international but in the US insurance is this highly advertised product you know there's that thing going around on twitter that was like state farm sponsors something like 980 sports teams in the US. You know, you watch the college football finals, Progressive, Geico, Aflac, commercial, 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 commercial. And then people turn around and they maybe have a credit card or a debit card where they get cash back or they get airline miles. And it's like, you have this mismatch where people kind of see the millions and millions of dollars that go into top of funnel advertising, but they don't see any sort of reciprocal value to them. And that rewards message really works. So about 53% of our users really like that rewards component. The other half, or less than half, but just, just under half, really want a way to manage their insurance that is not controlled by a brand or a product line. People don't tend to think of their insurance as in the way that regulators or companies do, right? You know, in the insurance, you have life and health and property and casualty. People just didn't think of it as their insurance, right? Like, hey, honey, where's my insurance? You know, oh, they get the life insurance, the auto insurance. So some people, like to come into Marvel because they can stack it all up. We'll pull it all in. They can see their full liability. They can see their payments. They can see their renewals. They can shop and they can share it within their household in a way that makes sense of how they discuss it internally. Those are tend to be people with maybe some, probably a family, maybe two vehicles, people who have a little bit more of a complex, you know, maybe not that complex, but somewhat complex insurance. So the first part of your question, you know, we've tried to really build for both. So we try to really build compelling rewards opportunities, but like, you know, a lot of what you're going to see you know, for people who sign up for Marble in the next six months are going to be more um, what we call like utility features. We're really going to try and build features on top of the data that we have to make it easier to manage not just your insurance, 
but the assets that you are protecting with your insurance. Do I need to pull my car into the garage? Is there a hailstorm coming? Has inflation driven up the value of my home? Should I get a new quote? Things like that that people kind of have on their to-do list when we interview them, but they don't take action on because it is hard to do. So that's that's really where the product is is sort of pushing towards is more proactive management insurance for both types of our members, the rewards people and the management people. And, and you know, there's a lot of cross between those two as well. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about the shopping component of the, of the wallet. So, yeah. uh, so I've got a wallet. I've got my, t- my two cars in there. I've got my pet insurance, I've got my house insurance. I might also have my business insurance in there as well. Am I getting notifications as my renewals are coming up? Am I getting suggestions as to maybe other areas of insurance I might need to purchase? And then am I getting directed through to a, a shop, a, an opportunity to purchase or renew my, my policies? Yeah. So I will put my, my current hat on and, you know, we'll talk about where we are today because I, you know, yeah. for listeners, I want to make sure they hear, you know, they don't need to hear the full VC pitch, but I will then also tell you about where we're going. Cause so we're in this beta phase now. We didn't build an app because that's more expensive. We built a browser today. We have a pilot shopping experience where we partner with young Alfred, who's tremendous. Jason and David are like good friends and they've been great partners. So today you get reminders, you get pre-filled applications. We have all that data that'll go pre-filled into our applications. So it only takes a few clicks to, to get a quote. Our members that do shop with us, you know, we've had a couple under a thousand, but a couple hundred members shop with us so far. They tend to save money or they get quotes that, you know, are a couple hundred bucks cheaper. And the, the big value is that we tell them when it's time to shop. So they're not getting reminded when their new policy comes into their, you know, inbox. Like when I my lemonade policy just renews and I'm like, oh, I should have gotten a new rate. Where we're going though is sort of the Robin Hood place, right? Which is, or Google Flights. Let me take my assets that I have, take my insurance that I have. Let's give our members some uh, filters, controls, and reminders to say, hey, Nick, would you like to set a, would you like to set a note that if we can pick up a rate for you that's 10% cheaper with equal coverage? Or would you like to set a reminder for uh, if you can get 10% more coverage for the same rate? And sort of set up monitoring where, because rates change. This is, I think people don't really get. It's 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 not as frequent as a stock price changing, but these are underlying prices that change and you should be monitoring them so you can make the best decision because you can bet dollars to donuts, the insurance companies you know, have the best data. So giving those monitoring tools so you can say, hey, parent of three kids, you don't want to worry about this, but if we could give you the same coverage from a carrier with the same reputable, you know, it's given the same rating and we could just monitor that and swap you, set it in your marble account and we'll alert you. That's where we want to go with shopping. That's sort of where the, the roadmap takes us to the end of 2022. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Stuart. I, I really like that. I think some of the takeaways to take from there is being organized and by organizing your insurance, you know, it gives you that time to shop around and find a better policy or, or a better price rather than last minute or automatic renewal i also think the the point you make about rate changes as well we see it in the uk a lot and i don't know if it's available in the us but we have these companies who switch utilities on behalf of customers they just put them onto another utility if they can save them money and it automatically is all done for them and i think you set certain parameters and if you're comfortable with that that'll just automatically do that for you is that where you're looking to take things with your insurance so it'll automatically switch it for you if they can get a better rate or, or more coverage for the same price yes but i want to like offer some caveats because i think that this is a very this is where the u.s market is a little bit more nuanced the commoditization of insurance is still an active 
is still being, that's a debate that's still being had between the large carriers, independent agents, and the insured techs. Is insurance a commodity that, you know, your insurance or my insurance are underlying the same things? And if I can get the same coverage for less money, I should switch to your insurance? Or is there something unique about your claims process, your technology that would make me want to stay with you, even if I'm paying a little bit more? That consumers are going to ultimately have to decide for themselves, I, I is my opinion. So, so our philosophy is, we may not go to the full commoditization. Hey, 10% more coverage, 0% price change, automatically switch. Our next step will look something like, Nick here, here's, here's what we've got for you and press one button and switch. Here's the context for how you should think about switching. You know, other We, we have reviews on the platform. So other Marvel members think that this insurance you're switching to is better. Slam dunk. Other people say you might be. So we, we do want to express the trade-offs because there it's not quite like switching from like, GM uh, buying stocks and swapping because there is a customer service component too. There is, and there's a contract of trust, isn't there, between the policyholder and the the end insurance company? And you know, they, people have got to make a conscious decision to go with that product or that or that coverage. Certainly, that's the present state of things. It's been like that for 300 years. Whether that changes in the future with AI technology, who knows? But yeah, exactly. I appreciate that point. Appreciate that point. On that note, actually, Stuart, yeah, how do you see the insurance market? changing over the next uh, five years or so and you know what type of companies mm-hmm. do you think are going to be successful during those times on a previous podcast i was one i someone asked me for predictions and i was like I, i'm not going to do insure tech predictions and then i wrote some predictions for my blog yeah and he and he and he was like what the heck you said you <laughs> so now, I, now i have to do predictions yeah so um so i think in the next five years I, there's a couple of things I'm, I'm bullish on i'll start with the positive I do think the democratization, the generalization of data, of insurance data, is going to fundamentally change in the U.S. market how people view brands and insurance. Already well-established, like J.D. Power is on this. People see less differentiation between insurance brands already because almost in the effort to keep advertising, there's so much volume of advertising that people are just tuning it out. So I think the one thing you're going to see is you're going to see It's going to be easier and easier and easier for consumers to pull their insurance data out into products like Marvel and, you know, into other products. And simultaneously, consumers are going to see less and less differentiation between the providers of that, especially as habits change around COVID. So I think that's going to make distribution a really interesting challenge because I think that it's going to start to look a lot more like Kayak and a lot less like... For people that want to use digital, I do think that the independent agent will always be a unique channel that many people will use. But for digital natives, it's going to look a lot more like Kayak and a lot less like it does today. Two is I think telematics are going to break through the next five years or parametric, let's say. I think insurers are going to finally start to crack through the distribution and adherence to devices and monitoring that makes people better risk. I think that that is just, I think that that it's going to become a necessity for survival. And I think that uh, it's going to break through and that the technology is going to get a lot better. One thing I think is going to happen in the industry that may not be as good is I do think, the, and I wrote this, I think that the embedded insurance world, you know, and no one I name, I'm making a prediction about specifically, but you know, your cover wallet, I think Shore, Boost, I think all of these writ large, there's going to be massive consolidation. I think that um, there's just, there's not an I've start you know I started an embedded insurance product in Marble and it is much harder than I think that investors and 
frankly, even entrepreneurs in the space are appreciating as they launch all these companies. And I do, I do not think that every company is going to sell their own insurance. I think that that is candidly naive on the part of some people. I think that there's going to be some big wins. And I think that a lot of these things are going to fail. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that answer there and that insight. We're now ready for the espresso round as the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. Yes, uh, I will be shorter. Well, we're both like a Cortado, but we're going to go. Yeah, exactly. We're going full power now on, on the espresso round. So you ready for that, Stuart? I am. Let's go for it. The espresso round. Stuart, what percentage of your current employees are from an insurance background compared to non-insurance? Very few, maybe 15%. And even within that, some have sort of, you know, slight insurance backgrounds. So if they've not got the insurance background, what major area or what major expertise do you currently look for or have you looked for in building the business to where it is now? Fintech generally, I, consumer fintech. I'm I'm a huge fan of the neobanks and the new you know equity platforms and some of the crypto platforms and i think that they have the right read on the tools consumers want so i want those people coming in over time i want to really shore up our insurance knowledge but we've got a great investor base i you know i know what i know about insurance i've been pretty immersed in the space for a couple of years yeah. so i'm sort of that backstop and then i want to let my fintech specialists run hard at the problem and what personalities to a working environment like yours, what do you look for when you're hiring into your team? I really need strong communicators. And I know I think a lot of people say that, but like I I get a very high level. I would take competence versus communication. I mean, we need high competence, but I need someone who can both receive communication and offer communication at the highest possible level because that is to me, communication feeds velocity, yeah. uh, both in terms of self-improvement. Hey, here's what you're not doing well. Okay, I am the communication skills to receive that feedback. Here's what you're doing great. I'm gonna do more of it, and then we can build velocity. That and and I mean, I'm I'm I like positivity. Uh, you know, I've worked at some pretty combative places. You know, my previous employer's been in the news, and I I like positivity. I don't need I, I don't need a cutthroat environment. We we're gonna we're gonna succeed together. That certainly fits in with the team that you've built in an international remote based team. That communication is critical when you're not sat there yes. next to someone nine to five, five days a week. That is absolutely crucial. Absolutely. And what would you say are the opportunities for people who come and join your business? What can they expect from a career with you? I, I One thing that we do a good job at is I think direct access to decision-making and the democratization of decision-making. You know, I've gotten better as a leader myself at sort of knowing that we need to, I need to take that last mile now and make the decision because we can't over-democratize. But there, um, there are true open lines of communication. There's really, we really try to set a bar of transparency to be very high so people can really see basically down to the financial level, barring you know, sensitive information, what we're doing, what we're planning, why we're doing it, why we're planning it. Um, and I'm going to try to main, maintain that as long as possible because that's how you build a team that's all bought in. Other than that, I mean, I think generally, if you want to do something very unique and very valuable in a very big industry, I think we fit that mark. Sounds like a great opportunity. Now you say so far state you've got about 15% of your workforce are from the insurance side. I know you've got obviously a very strong insurance background yourself. Do you see anything lacking in the insurance mm. industry in terms of like skills and qualities, things that 
you've made a conscious decision to maybe move into fintech side of things, or is that just what suits your particular business? I, I want to be careful about this because I think you know it's hard to generalize an industry as massive as insurance. Yeah. But I think one thing that you can sometimes there are a lot of headwinds to innovation in insurance, and some of those are good and valuable. You know, I believe in regulation. I believe in. I believe in. I, I, I admire the success of the big companies and I, I, want, I want to emulate them. I also think that there's a reason that insurance is about a decade or more behind the banks, the credit card companies, the online you know, brokerages. And I don't know that it's an existential risk, but I would be alarmed if I was in the innovation team or even in the C-suite of some of these bigger carriers because there is a big vulnerability as millennials, Gen Z, who have a, the highest expectation for digital experiences, uh, become the primary drivers of the economy. So my only critique of you know, why I've leaned more towards fintech is that I need in the early days to really index towards people who have a growth mindset, who don't find the blockers, who find the opportunities, who don't throw up the walls, because the insurance industry, love it, does that naturally. There's a lot of reasons why you can't do things in insurance. There's, we're missing a lot of the reasons you can do things. And now, again, once we build that culture internally, and I feel like we've got it, and I want to layer in insurance people, probably people who already have that mindset, but I just need to really make sure that we have that engine. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Stuart. I think I think sometimes the challenge is, and this is something we could do a whole podcast in itself as well. You know, a lot of insure techs very much do target their offering towards that millennial to the generation yeah. who are who are buying online and very comfortable with that. So I suppose the the challenge that the insurers have got is is straddling the two. Their you know, their core customer base still like buying, purchasing their insurance in a different way and slowly transitioning such huge Oh yeah, organization is obviously is obviously the million dollar, well, the multi billion dollar question about how, how they go around doing that. So I think, yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. But I, I think when it comes from recruiting and bringing people in from the industry, I think it it certainly depends on their individual experience and their individual mindset and personality. Exactly. I mean, I, I really wouldn't want my answer to be a write off of insurance talent or okay. of even the large incumbents. Cause I, I think that mm. is both untrue and also uh, sort of in vogue among mm. the insure techs to kind of dismiss mm. the existing town or the exi existing companies. They do incredible things at a scale that, I mean, look at them quite literally no insure tech is even close to, Yeah, you know, they're operating at a level of scale and, and complexity that even Daniel at Lemonade is not, it's not working on. And he's, you know, he's great. He's, oh, yeah. he's out there. Oh, yeah. So um, it's, it is all respect to it. I do think that, especially to start up your, your culture is so fragile mm -hmm. that I just got to, you know, I, that's why I've curated this more FinTech focus because you've got to just like really build this, the fire and then you can build a, then you can bring more people in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, to finish off the espresso round then. So if there are any insurance leaders or executives from the insurance industry, a bit like what we've just been discussing, looking to make that move to an insure tech, to a startup, what preparation could they be doing mm. in order to help that be a successful switch? I, I would say two things. One, one is, well, you know, I would caveat being like, look, 
you know, this is this is my conversations with my with my dad coming through because you know he he's much more on the reinsurance side. So my my advice is purely on sort of property and casualty and like distribution. So you know, if you're an executive in another part, this advice please don't please don't book this advice as gospel. But one is I for for me and for insurtechs that are in you know consumer distribution side things, looking at really successful having a having a view on really successful programs, tools, or products in other industries, and a view a proactive view on how those might be portable to insurance. You know, we've had some amazing conversations with really established and successful executives at a large insurance companies who've looked at our rewards program and said, how can we bring that to our company? And that's the mentality where you're like, I want that as an advisor. And maybe I want that as our future executive because they're taking the growth mindset. The other view is, the other thing I would I would love to see is, how can you express really complex processes in insurance? Setting up a reinsurance relationship, getting licensed, mm-hmm. building a sales organization. How can you make me feel confident that you can take that from one or from zero to one within the limited resource context of an, of an insure tech? If I, you know, if I say, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow wants to start a captive carrier and we need to, you know, Nick, can you help us find someone? The candidate who can be like, here's the playbook. And I can do this, you know, I've, I've done this before, or I know how to do this within a limited, you know, we don't have a huge legal team, we don't, but I can do it. And I know how to do it quickly. And it maybe it'll be a little bit sparse, but we'll get it live. And then we can build on top of it. And I understand that sort of MVP approach. That's also huge because we don't, we just don't have the same, we can't, you know, we can't offer you a full-time, you know, associate counsel to help you navigate that, right? We need to trust that you can t- kind of move the ball forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm- see that a lot i think the key thing is for them to demonstrate and show experience of being able to build things from the ground up and even if that is within a large organization a large corporate but actually showing that they've they've been able to build something either from scratch or from very small beginnings and they've not just been nurturing or you know increasing by a couple of percentage growth points a year you know a very large yes. business yeah we've almost reached the end of our time today in the insurance coffee house before we go though do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and how would someone reach out to you after the show oh boy well reach out to me either you know linkedin Stuart winchester s-t-u-a-r-t or just Stuart at marblepay.com or i occasionally write stuff at shwinchester.com you know one piece of advice is and i guess this is this is insurance professional talent sort of network advice you know, as I guess, but I think that positioning yourself publicly using the amazing tools that are available to us in free social media, content development, networking events as a knowing bridge between where insurance is going and the thousands of years of insurance history, which doesn't mean you have to be an academic, doesn't mean, but just knowing Expressing that you have a view and empathy for both sides of that immediately warms a hiring manager to you because it tells me you get it. It tells me you get that the pace of innovation is inevitable. However, you are also not going to be a liability in trying to disrupt this really established industry, which I would never try to minimize. And like when people tell me that, when people express that either through lessons they've applied or that I'm like, okay, now we're in business. Now we're in business and we can kind of like build a team together that. And again, just, you know, for me, positivity, it goes a long way, you know? So those are my two things. 
Yeah, fantastic. Sure. I think that awareness and understanding of what's gone before and the opportunities and potential that's there. I think, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think exactly. that's how any candidate should be approaching joining the industry or in fact, moving to other opportunities. Stuart, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed hearing more about you and yeah, the great work you're doing there at Marble. It's really interesting time for the business. So wish you all the very best and we'll we'll certainly have to catch up for a podcast and and, and see how things are are going from here. Exactly. Yeah. We'll we'll circle back and, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have some, I don't know, some learnings. Hopefully they're good ones. We we'll definitely have some learnings. That's for sure. That's for sure. Thank you to all our listeners today, whether you're an insurance executive or an insured tech leader, I'm sure you would have gained a lot of great, valuable learnings from Stuart today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffeehouse Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffeehouse with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.